Good morning. Great to be with you this morning. My name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. And uh, if you brought a Bible with you this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Last week we began a a short series um, called Walking by Faith. And um, I think in our culture, in our world, we often think of Christianity as something to be believed. And uh, it certainly is that, but it's also a life to be lived. And um, the Bible holds out uh, Abraham as the, the man of faith and an example of what it looks like to live a life of faith. And so we're, uh, we're exploring that uh, over these five weeks. Uh, at the end of the summer, we're looking at the second passage this morning in Genesis chapter 12. So let me invite you to stand with me this morning as we give our attention to God's word. And I'm going to read um, Genesis 12, beginning at verse 10, and then into chapter 13. Let's hear God's word to us. Now there was a famine in the land, and so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sari, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abrams entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, and male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sari, Abram's wife. And so Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And so Abram went up from Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he made an altar at the first and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. We'll finish there. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you uh, speak to us in this time through your word as we consider um, the life of Abraham, this far from perfect uh, servant of yours. Would you teach us what it looks like to live by and walk by faith? We pray in Jesus' name by the power of your spirit. Amen. You may be seated, please. Well, I don't know if you heard about this incident that took place. It was August uh, 2016 at JFK Airport in uh, New York City when a stampede started in Terminal 8. Um, It was late in the evening, and a woman, somebody said, a woman shouted out, he has a gun, and everybody got up and began to run. Um, People dropped their luggage and their passports and began to run, and chaos ensued. 
um, somebody dropping their, uh, their uh, or somebody, a crowd began to run through the terminal and knock over, you know, those metal like uh, pylons that keep lines and airports. Uh, and those knocked over and hit the tile floor and it sounded like gunshots going off and more and more people began to panic and a, a stampede progressed uh, through the airport terminal. One man was desperate to find safety uh, and get away from the crowd. He ran down a jetway. Another saw him running down a jetway and they followed him and so he got to the end of this jetway and there was no plane there. And so he's at the end of this jetway and the, and the crowd is pushing in uh, behind him and he doesn't know what to do and he begins to try to break the glass on the door and then I guess jump, I don't know, jump out 20 feet to the ground. I don't know what he's going to do after that. Um, according to Twitter, several TSA agents just grabbed their stuff and ran. Um, that's, uh, that's leadership for you. People were hysterical. Uh, it took authorities hours to regain control, to calm everyone down, and to begin the hunt for the shooter. And that effort was frustrated by the fact that there actually was no shooter at all. And after hours and hours of searching and not finding the person who had started this chaos, um, eventually they began reviewing security footage and they discovered what had happened was that a group of people had been sitting at a restaurant in the airport, like a sports, you know, TGI Fridays kind of place. And it was August 2016 and they were watching the Olympics. And Usain Bolt uh, won the 100 meter dash for the third consecutive Olympics. And somebody clapped. And that clap, it only has to be heard by one person and misinterpreted in an airport, and it was thought to be gunshots, and, or a gunshot, and panic ensued, and it was just chaos. <laughs> okay, so imagine this situation. You're traveling somewhere. You're leaving home, and you're going on a journey, and you get to the airport, and a little thing happens that turns out to not really even be a real thing, and it sparks your anxiety, and all of a sudden, you're not going anywhere anymore. That is what's happening to Abram, Abraham in this passage, and that's what happens to us in life. Um, we're looking, like I said, at what it means to live a life of faith. And we saw last week that Abraham had called God. And, and God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to know me and I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to others. And so I want you to go. I want you to follow me on mission. I want you to leave your, your family and your home and your security. And as you do that, I want you to travel to a place that I will show you. And Abraham does that. He obeys God and he travels a thousand miles to Canaan uh, and he arrives in the promised land. And so we talked about last week that, that for us, the call to, to know God also involves a call to leave. Uh, but that may not mean physically leaving where we live like it did for Abraham, but it is always a call to follow God in his mission of advancing his kingdom in the world. And uh, that's what it means to live a full life, a life of beauty and tenacity that thrives despite our circumstances. Uh, it means living a life with our eyes fixed on Jesus and not fixed on our circumstances. And, um, and so many of us do that. and We answer the call of God and we respond and we're living, we're, we're going. And then something happens and it sparks that anxiety in us. 
and uh, and we're like we're off the tra- we're jumping off the train and we're done with this living life on mission thing and we freak out and we're giving up on the vocation that God has called us to and saw and so we saw last week that if you're going to live by faith the first thing we have to do is to respond by call God respond to God's call to leave now Abraham's done that but then we see here the second thing you have to do is once you're once you're leaving you're on this new gospel kingdom train you just got to remain. No matter what happens, just stay on the train. Don't, don't jump off no matter what happens. Remain. So look at this passage with me. Verse 10 says this. There was a famine in the land. Yeah, he's gotten to this land. God said, go to the land I will show you. And he gets there, and there's a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. He had finally arrived at the place God had, had, had showed him. Uh, he had left his home in Ur of the Chaldeans, and then they kind of had this little hiccup in, uh, in, in Haran where half of the family, they just said, we're halfway there and we're going to stay here. And so God said, then you leave your family and you go the rest of the way. And so he's, he's left the, the um, and this is kind of modern day Iran or Iraq where they had left, and they've traveled to uh, Palestine, Canaan, uh, you know, when it says the Negev, uh, that's this desert in southern Israel. And so he's there. He's in the promised land. It's to the, the place that God had promised to bring him. And yet he's there, and it doesn't look at all like the promised land. Uh, it doesn't look at all the way he expected it to look. Um, there's a problem. There's no food when he gets there. And so he's going, God, you told me to follow you. And now we're here, but we're going to die because there's nothing to eat. It wasn't just a famine. It was a severe famine. And you can imagine Abraham thinking, I've come all this way, God. Um, you know, in, in Hebrews, when it summarizes the life of Abraham, it says that Abraham obeyed, Abraham obeyed God. And he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. So he's obeyed. And when he arrives, it doesn't look at all the way he expected it to look. I don't know if that, does that sound familiar at all to you? Okay, God, I believe you're calling me. I, I'm following you. And I think that we, we tend to think there's going to be this initial challenge, and then it'll get easier. And the reality is that the life of faith, um, <laughs> it, it, it's not like a one-stop, you know, one challenge, and then you just enjoy and, and coast for the rest of life. That, that first uh, that first step is followed by another step and another step and another step of faith. Um, in reality, what we thought was the journey was just the first step. And so Abram is now, Abraham is now in, um, in Canaan. He's in this desert. And uh, here's the thing. God has promised Abraham. He's made up all these promises. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to give you a full life. Your descendants will be like the the sand of the, uh, of the seashore and like the stars of the sky. But the problem is that Abraham doesn't have a son. He doesn't have an offspring. All of the contingents of God, uh, all of the promises of God are contingent upon him having a son. And now there's a famine. And so what happens in a famine? Uh, well, the first people to die, who, who are the first people to go in a famine? It's the elderly and the young. Okay. And so Abraham is 75. His wife is 65. And um, so they're, they're at risk in a famine. And if they have a son, he's going to be at risk. 
Uh, and, and on top of that, you know, women often lose their fertility in, in the midst of a famine. And so it's all contingent upon how we're going to have the son. What's he supposed to do? He's supposed to remain. He's supposed to, he's there in the land. He's, got, he's supposed to believe that God is going to provide and act as if that is true. He's just supposed to remain on the journey. And so, um, but he's afraid, right? And so he decides, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And uh, I can't trust God to be faithful to his promise. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And he decides to go down to Egypt. And this kind of idea of going down to Egypt is, is this refrain in the Bible of, of uh, taking matters into our own hands, of not trusting the promises of God, not, not remaining faithful. And so here's what I want you to see. When you respond to God's call in your life, that is wonderful, of course. That's great. And yet, it may take a week, it may take a month, it may take a year, it may take 10 years, but at some point, as you begin to walk down the road of faith, you are going to hit a speed bump. You are going to encounter an obstacle. Um, I've seen this happen so many times where we think that kind of meeting God and answering his call to follow him is like we're going to have to have this initial test or make this initial decision and then life is just going to get easier and it doesn't happen that way. Um, it doesn't happen that way. A famine is coming, whether it's days, years, months, hours away, something is coming. God never promises that if we follow him, he'll give us an easy and a comfortable life. And so it's going to happen. Uh, it, you know, it this takes all shapes, doesn't it? It might look like financial difficulty. It might look like sickness. It might look like, um, and I have, a, I have a good friend who is a, uh, a pastor, and he just moved his family to a uh, you know, thousands of miles to upstate New York to plant a new church. And, uh, and his youngest son has this disease and doc- or condition, and doctors can't figure out what's going on. He's saying, why, God, why? Like, haven't we, haven't we given enough? Haven't we sacrificed enough? And he said, pray for my son, but pray for my faith. So there's a sense, God, I don't deserve this. What are you doing? Whatever it may look like for you, a famine is coming and your faith, it will be tested. It will be tested. You have to expect that. It's only a matter of time. Uh, I've seen this with college students. Uh, when I was a college pastor, a student meets Jesus and puts their trust in him and things are great until... You know, health concern crops up. I've seen uh, people weather those tests and it's just an opportunity for their faith to be strengthened. And I've had good friends, my best friend in seminary, as we were training him to be pastors together and as we worked together as young pastors, uh, hit a speed bump in his life and just pulled the ripcord and ejected and, and, uh, and is no longer walking with Jesus. I've seen it go both ways and it's, it's tragic, but it's a reality. And when the challenge comes, here's the point, when the challenge comes, because it will, the call of God is simply to remain. <laughs> it's not to be heroic. It's not to, it's not to be Superman. It's, it's, it's just to hold on. It's just to get through. It's just to endure. Uh, the Bible calls us over and over again to just hold on. But the temptation is to take matters into our own hands. Um, Abraham's faith is fine as long as there is no famine. 
as long as there's no famine, he's 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 great. Like we are we're doing fine as long as there's no as long as there's no trial, as long as there's no challenge, everything's great. But as soon as there's no food, he says we're going down to Egypt, and that's natural and understandable, isn't it? Like there's no food, what are we gonna do? It do, like everybody would go down to Egypt in this case, but the call of God is to live differently than the way that everybody else lives and to remain faithful. To remain, to remain faithful. God says, I'm not calling you to do what everybody else does. I'm calling you to remain on the journey. So friends, listen to this. When God, when God, before he set the earth on its axis, when he determined that he would make himself known to you and to me, and when he then in time called us into his presence and through the blood of Jesus redeemed us and called us his own, and when he then gave you and me a purpose and a vocation and invites us to follow him on mission in this world to make his name known, he doesn't then cross his fingers and hope it's all going to work out okay. He knew what he was doing every step along the way. God has promised that he will be at work and he will be faithful. And so when circumstances shake our faith, the call is simply to remain. To hold on. Don't try to be Superman. Don't try to be heroic. Just hold on. I, uh, a friend, acquaintance of mine, he's a pastor in Tennessee, recently um, shared a uh, list of unusual answers to exam questions that I thought was kind of funny. Um, you know how uh, people write funny things on, on exams. So uh, one person was you know, taking a history test. Where was the Declaration of Independence signed? And he said, at the bottom. Um, Somebody said, uh, finish this great quote, to be, and one student wrote, continued. In London, at a police academy, a uh, young aspiring police officer was taking his test, and he, he, he got this question. Said, he said this, you are on patrol in London when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the sidewalk and there's an overturned van nearby. Inside the van, there's the strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance, but you realize that he is a man who is wanted for a series, a series of violent armed robberies. Just at that moment, another man runs from a nearby house shouting that his wife is expecting a baby and that the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Someone else cries for help, having been thrown into an adjacent canal by the explosion, and they cannot swim. Bearing in mind the provisions of the Mental Health Act, describe in a few words what action you would take. And the aspiring police officer said, I would take off my uniform and blend into the crowd. <laughs> but here's the point, friends. You and I cannot take off our uniform and blend into the crowd. We do not have that option. And so, I, I think so much of the church in the Western world today 
has taken off its uniform and is simply blending into the crowd, but that option is not available to us. It's not good for us personally. We can't do that to our children, and we cannot do that to the world around us. But the lesson of the life of Abraham and the consistent call of the Bible as, the whole, as a whole is to remain, to endure. When the circumstances of life look like they're going to un- overwhelm you, just hold on. Not because you're tenacious enough and you're just going to grit it out, but because God is faithful and he knew what he was doing when he called you. And nothing that has happened ever since that moment has caught him off guard. And he's inviting you to follow him He's calling you to leave, to follow him on kingdom vocation in this world. And he will be faithful to you. So don't take things into your own hands and go down to Egypt. Friends, if the Christian life is ever going to make any sense at all to you, you've got to understand this. Suffering and pain are the thing that God will use in your life to shape and mold your faith. Uh, I have heard people say that for years, and I always thought, you know, I'm going to just be odds on that one. And what I have realized over the last several years is that there are certain things that can only be learned through experience. There are uh, realities to the Christian life that can only be learned by enduring pain and hardship and suffering. Um, And God intends to use those things in your life to shape you. James 1 says this, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Hebrews chapter 5 says that even Jesus had to be made perfect through what he suffered. And Jesus was perfect. So what does that mean? Well, it means that there is something that can only be gained through the experience of suffering that cannot be learned in a simply theoretical way. I don't know why God allows suffering. I mean, I could give you a philosophical answer that might make sense, but it's wholly unsatisfying if you're actually suffering. I don't know why God allows suffering in this world, but I do know that he uses suffering, pain, difficulty in our lives to shape us. And you have to actually endure it in order to learn to endure. Um, Think about this reality. If you're trying to increase your endurance, like physically, you're trying to exercise, you're trying to get in better shape, uh, you can read every book there is about human physiology. Uh, You can know everything about poses and techniques and form. You can watch people work out. You can watch like the CrossFit games on TV. You can critique the form of other people and you could be an expert on evaluating the workout techniques of other people. And it will do nothing for you unless you actually work out, right? The only way to gain physical endurance is to actually endure. And what's true of the physical is true of the spiritual as well. God uses suffering to humble us to teach us patience, to wean us off of our sin, to teach us to trust him, and so many other things. And that can only happen as we remain on the journey. The thing about this passage (laughs) is that Abraham doesn't learn the message. You have to actually endure. You have to actually remain in order to build endurance. 
And so God continues to take Abraham through trial after trial after trial. And then eventually, he gets it. It only happens when we remain on the journey. You cannot learn it theoretically. You can only learn it through experience. So look at Abraham. Um, I mean, what happens in this story? He's a mess. He's hungry. He's, he, he wants to eat. He wants to, you know, his family's hungry. So they go down. They say, let's go down to Egypt and get some food. He thinks no big deal, right? What could be the harm in going to get some food? But as they get, you know, Egypt is this land. It's fertile. They've, uh, they've got the Nile River there. And so uh, there's always food in Egypt. And, um, and as he gets close, you know, it's like he's coming out of the desert and he sees the metro area and he sees like the skyline and he's, he starts getting nervous. And he looks at his wife and he, he says, my wife is beautiful and they're going to kill me. And, uh, and take her. Now, now, think about this. His wife is 65 years old. Now, there are beautiful 65-year-old women, of course, absolutely, right? But, she, you know, she's 65, right? Um, read into that whatever you want. But, you know, he, he's afraid. He's terrified. And, and, um, but this is the point, I think. Uh, he, he thinks, no big deal. We're just going to go get some food. What's the big deal? But... You make one bad decision, have you ever had this? And all of a sudden, it just piles up and piles up and piles up and all hell breaks loose. You think, where in the world, like, why in the world would Abraham say, I know what I'm going to do. This has got to be a part of God's plan. I'm going to go send my wife into the harem of a pagan king. And then what happens to him? Well, he's, um, oh, but he justifies it, right? Because he says, say that you're my sister, which is half true. She's his half-sister. And, um, and then he reaps all the benefit because he's now the, uh, the, the, uh, the family of the bride. And so the Pharaoh is sending him all these gifts, these uh, servants and, and livestock. And, uh, and um, he's benefiting from it. But then it says that God afflicted Pharaoh and he comes and he calls Abraham out. Have you ever noticed that uh, often the unbelieving world they, is more moral than, than we are. Um, that should no, not be any surprise. The unbelieving pagan king is more moral than Abraham. And so Pharaoh sends him away and they go back to Canaan. This is the point, friends. God is going to use all sorts of circumstances in your life to shape your faith. He's going to use pain. He's going to use suffering. He's even going to use your own failure. It's, it's interesting. In chapter 13, they go back to Canaan. It says now he's a very wealthy man because in his failure, he got you know all of these gifts from Pharaoh, and now he can actually uh, go back to the land and, and, and support his family. Um, God calls you to himself. He sends you out on mission he sends you to a life of kingdom of vocation. He calls you to remain on that journey when famine comes. And sometimes remaining simply means holding on. Okay, so how are you going to do that? How are you just going to hold on? No matter what life sends at you. No matter what circumstances uh, you face. Well, we have to see uh, the second thing I want you to notice in this passage in chapter 13 is that God calls us to remember. God calls us to remember. Um, in chapter 13, Abraham, he goes back to Canaan, back to the promised land. And it says in verse 3, he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning 
between Bethel and Ai. And he goes to the place where he had made an altar at first, and there Abraham, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. How do you remain? How do you develop the tenacity to keep your eyes fixed on God despite your circumstances? It's not by trying harder, but the example of Abraham is so great, not because he's this perfect guy who never makes any mistakes. I mean, quite to the contrary. He makes such blatant, uh, terrible mistakes. He's such a great example to us because it shows us how overwhelmingly good and abundant the grace of God is. And so what does Abraham do? He, he remembers and he repents and he returns. He goes back to where he was supposed to be. And, uh, and he calls upon the Lord. And it says he builds an altar. He went back to the place where he had already built an altar. And that, that might not mean a lot to us. Um, why does he build altars? Um, throughout the, everywhere he goes, he builds altars. And throughout his life, he builds altars. And so an altar is just like, he's just piling up stones. And what he's doing is he, he doesn't have a camera, obviously. Uh, this is how he's making memories or creating opportunities to remember the faithfulness of God. And so throughout his life, he's, he's coming back to these altars and he's remembering, I've been in this circumstance before and God has been faithful. And it works not just for Abraham, but it works for, for, uh, for generations, you see, in the Bible People arrive at the place where Abraham or where Isaac or where Jacob built an altar to the Lord. We are called to remember the faithfulness of God. Um, you know, in our time, we hate pain and suffering. Now, everybody hates pain and suffering. But what's different, I think, in our time is that we have this expectation that we should never experience it. We don't deserve it. And so when we experience pain and suffering, we just kind of batten down the hatches, get through it. And then when we get through it, we're like, I'm never looking back on that again. And the call of the Bible is don't waste. Don't waste your suffering. Um, don't waste it. Faith is a muscle that has to be strengthened through, through use. Uh, faith isn't something that just grows on its own, but it, it grows as it's tested. Or I could say it like this, uh, hope is a learned skill. By nature, we are all pessimists. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we told you that as a church, we're facing a financial challenge uh, where we need... Uh, some support. We need some more. We need. We need an injection of cash. We need thirty thousand dollars by October. And uh, you know, this isn't the first time we've been in this place. And I, I, let me say this: I, um, it's a real need. I'm not saying this flippantly or lightly. But this isn't the first time we've been in this position. This isn't the second time we've been in this position. This isn't. This is. I don't know how many times we've been in this position before. Uh, but this is this is what God does, and He He's strengthening our faith. And you know, every time we've been in this position before as a church, I just I'm a mess, <laughs> and I can't sleep. I wake up at three or four in the morning, and I'm up for hours. And um, you know, something's changed. Something's changed this time around. I'm sleeping through the night. Why? Because we've been here before. I don't know what God's going to do this time, but he's been faithful every step along the way. 
And we have to remember that. We have to keep coming back and remembering God has been faithful. And so I think it's beautiful that the Bible tells the story of the life of Abraham as this life of failure and failure and failure, but then he begins to trust. And then he begins to learn because he begins to remember. He builds these altars. We've got to remember the entire Christian life is an exercise in remembering because at the center of the Christian faith, we remember we remember what Abraham could only anticipate. Uh, what Abraham looked forward to. All of the promises of God to Abraham are contingent upon the birth of a son. But Abraham remained faithful uh, as he saw God bringing that promise to fruition. We now live on the other side of the fulfillment of that promise. And so when Abraham finally receives the son and Isaac is born, uh, the, the, the son arrives and Abraham, Abraham never doubts God again after the birth of the son. And yet what we see in Isaac is that Isaac isn't actually the true son. He's only pointing forward to the true son. And so we see, looking back, what Abraham could only hope for, what the New Testament says he saw by faith, or he saw from a long way off the, the true son that he was awaiting was not Isaac. The true son that he was waiting for was Jesus. And when Jesus comes into the world... When Jesus comes into the world, what we see is that Jesus lives exactly the life of faith that God is calling us to live. He leaves home. He leaves the riches of heaven and comes to earth. And then when things don't go the way that certainly we would have written the script, he remains and he is faithful. He is perfectly faithful. He holds on. He stays on the journey. And as he approaches the cross, as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, it's at the night before he's crucified, he, he's praying and he says, Father, knowing that he's going to the cross, Father, I don't want to do this. If there's a plan B, can we please go with that option? And he is met with silence. And so he prays, not my will, but yours be done. And then he goes to the cross, and as he hangs on the cross, people pass him by, and the soldiers are mocking him. And people are crying out, if you really are the Son of God, then save yourself. Come down from the cross. We know that you can. And he remains on the cross. He remains on the journey. He remains on the kingdom vocation that God has called him to. Why? He receives the silence of God. God turns his back on Jesus so that he will never turn his back on you. And that's why no matter how dark the night, how bleak the circumstances, you can hold on, you can remain knowing that God will be faithful. He will not let you go. So remember, remember the Christian life is an act of remembering. Remember the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and the God of Israel um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is what I meant to say. <laughs> Faithful from generation to generation. Remember Jesus who remained on mission until the very end. And as you remember, his love will change you. The cost that Jesus endured in order to make you his own and reconcile you to God will change you. And it will enable you to actually remain despite circumstances. 
This week I was uh, reminded of a, um, came across an article I read several years ago about a man named Robertson McQuilkin. Robertson McQuilkin uh, actually had the honor of meeting him at a conference several years ago. He was the president of uh, Columbia International University in South Carolina. He was a, uh, an intellectual giant at the top of his field, uh, a man with deep trust in Jesus, and um, he, was the, he was the president of this, um, this prestigious university. And his wife uh, developed Alzheimer's. And it uh, uh, progressed to the point where um, he felt that for the good of his wife, in the prime of his career, he had to uh, resign from his post in order to care for his wife, Muriel. And when he announced his resignation, he said, Muriel seems to be almost happy when she is with me and almost never happy when she is not with me. She seems to feel trapped. She becomes very fearful, sometimes almost in terror. And when she can't get to me, there is anger and she is in distress. And he said that oftentimes as he put her to bed in the, in the, in the night, he would take off her shoes and her feet would be covered in blood. And he discovered that she would routinely leave home during the day and walk from their home to his office to come and look for him and then wander back home. And so eventually he resigned his post and in his resignation speech he said this. He said, this was no grim duty to which I stoically resigned. It was only fair. She had, after all, cared for me for almost four decades with marvelous devotion. Now it was my turn. And such a partner she was, if I took care of her for 40 years, I would never be out of her debt. And he emphasized that caring for Muriel was not something that he had to do, but something that he got to do. Robert McQuilkin, in his final years, demonstrated for us a picture of what it looks like to love others with the love of Jesus. Because he remembered the love that he had received, the love of his wife, but also the love that Jesus had shown him. He remembered who she was, and so he remembered who he was and was faithful to the promise that he had made to love her in sickness and in health. And so, friends, let me simply leave you with this encouragement. Remember who you are. Remember that God has called you not to a life of comfort, but to a life of mission. Remember whose you are that Jesus has shed his blood to buy you back from darkness and bring you into his kingdom of light. Remember, repent, and then remain on the journey because there is no greater quest in life. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you for the goodness of who you are. Thank you for revealing yourself to Abraham. Thank you for revealing yourself most perfectly to us in your son. Thank you that he not only reconciles us uh, to you by his blood, but then invites us into an adventure, into a quest, into a life uh, of purpose and meaning as we follow you into uh, the vocation that you've called us to in this world. 
And now, God, as we uh, turn our attention to uh, the Lord's Supper, would you use these elements to strengthen our faith and to equip us to uh, make uh, faith real in us? We pray in Jesus' name.